Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. We're in this series that we're actually wrapping up today because of our special emphasis next week uh, that we called No Place Like Home. Obviously, we've been talking about home life and how to handle all kinds of issues and so forth that the home has uh, has going for it or challenges and so forth. And today I want to talk with you about uh, raising your children and not just about raising them to become adults, but raising them to become spiritually healthy, not just physically healthy, but spiritually healthy as well. I think that's probably the most important thing that any Christian parent could have, a desire that they have in their life is that their kids would carry on the, the legacy, that they would they would grow to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, this was so strong in carrying me that, speaking for me personally, I would rather have failed at every other venture in life and have my children grow up to love Jesus Christ than have succeeded at many other ventures in life and have my kids walk away from God. Uh, that's, just, that's just me personally. Well, I know that that's probably how you feel, too, as a Christian parent. You want the same thing for your kids. Now, of course, Carrie and I, we think about that in terms of our grandchildren as well, that the legacy continues. I, uh, I blessed a family, uh, a little girl yesterday around noontime here at the church, and there was a crowd of about 50 people that came for the blessing. And, and I blessed this little girl, and I talked about the legacy that God establishes in the homes of Christian parents. And as they, as they follow the principles of God's word, how that not only blesses them personally, but it blesses their children, and how it carries on down through the generations and establishes something that goes way beyond their lifetime. It establishes a legacy that lasts until Jesus comes. And that's what we want. And, and we know that sometimes our, our children turn out in ways that we're proud of and, and we're excited about. Others show challenge to us from time to time. But it's at those times that we, we hang on to powerful scriptures that speak faith into our hearts, like Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, that says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And... Um, I like how the New Living puts that as well. It says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, the verb here, for the, it, the, in both of these translations, the Hebrew word from which we get the English train or direct, depending on which uh, translation you look at, literally means to narrow. Train or direct literally means to narrow in the sense of narrowing the choices that a person has by helping them to make the right choices. So just throwing the whole thing open and say, you choose, and I hope you choose the right one, is not a good strategy. God's word is saying we need, as Christian parents, to narrow the choices that our children have 
in order that they can make the wisest choice. Have you ever walked into a Baskin-Robbins with their 31 flavors and stood there looking at the freezers through the glass trying to make a decision as to which ice cream cone you want to have? They are, that's incredibly difficult because they're also incredibly great. And I'll look and I, I'm drooling. It's kind of gross. It's, you know, I have, Carrie comes over, pats my chin because I'm just savoring, you know, what is going to come. And invariably, I'll, I'll ask for vanilla. <laughs> Any other vanilla people out there? I am a vanilla person. In fact, I don't even really like chocolate that much, especially not dark chocolate. Uh, just kind of a little bit of chocolate I can handle. I'm a vanilla guy, you know. That's why I married a blonde. <laughs> she brings the, the vanilla to me, okay. But uh, you got these 31 flavors there. And one, I've oftentimes said to the, to the clerk, you know, if you guys had only just a few choices, this would be a whole lot simpler. You know, 31, it's going to take time here to work through the whole thing. That's why I think God created... Uh, Dairy Queen, because you got vanilla and chocolate, and that's it, and it makes it really easy to walk out of there with a choice, with a decision. In a sense, that's kind of what we're talking about with your kids. You need to Dairy Queen your kids, spiritually. You need to get rid of the Baskin-Robbins approach and go to the Dairy Queen approach when it comes to your children, because training your child is narrowing their options of choices to help them to make the best choice. Now, in raising kids, I always look at advice, and I, I, really, um, I really like the advice I read years ago from Mark Twain. This is what he said, when a kid turns 13, stick him in a barrel, nail, nail the lid shut, and feed him through a knot hole. When he turns 16, plug the hole. <laughs> That's how Carrie and I did it, and it, only one of them died. Uh, and the one that lived really turned out pretty good. Well, that's probably not the best advice, you know, for, for raising your children, uh, but it certainly is one approach. Really, I think when, when you get seriously down to it, the two most important methods of training your children are wrapped up in these two words. First of all, instruction, and secondly, example. And both of these are critically important. You can't have one without the other and be successful. Because if all you do is give instruction, but you don't live it, you're a hypocrite. And all, if all you do is live it, but you never take the time to give clear, solid instruction, it will not take hold in their lives. Um, they can't just see it in you. They've got to be trained as well. And, and so both of these are important. Now, instruction is teaching from God's Word and from practical life lessons. And so when, when we mentor the boys... It's actually what that is, is there's, a, there's a, a lesson that they can understand, that's given that they can understand. And, and so we as men then invest into their lives on the basis of the word of God that Sid has prepared for us that particular morning at our men's breakfast. And, and so we, we do that, but then also we bring in life lessons, okay? So this is how this scripture works in life. You know, and we share from our experiences what we have gone, gone through. And we do that so that our sons can become successful men of God and our, our, women can be, our girls can become women of God that he wants them to be as well. And so this involves 
the teaching of God's word, the teaching of life principles, a third part of that three, it's a three-legged stool, is discipline. Because discipline gives your children a sense of right and wrong and the consequences that come from both. There will be good consequences with making right choices. There will be bad consequences with making wrong choices. And if you don't bring consequences to bear upon your children when they are young, when they do wrong, they'll experience consequences later on in their life, and they'll be far worse then. I remember a young woman telling me one time, well, I don't discipline my children. I want, I want them to think I love them. And I said, you're teaching them that you don't love them because you're not instructing them and you're giving no consequences to the difference between right and wrong. There must be discipline. Example, on the other hand, is simply is what it says there. It's living out daily what you teach. It's, it's, it's being genuine. I'm not talking about being perfect, but I am talking about being authentic. It's letting your kids see your struggles uh, to a certain degree, but understand that everything's not perfect with you. Everything's not perfect with mom or with dad, but here's how we turn that over to Jesus Christ. Now, if both of those methods, instruction and example, are joined together in the training process of our kids, then the last part of Proverbs 11.6 will come true. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, God gives us a great gift when we are born. It's called a conscience. And it's the ability to help us choose. It gives us the ability to choose between what is right and what's not. But if the conscience is not developed properly and trained properly, it will lose its ability to influence our lives towards what's right and wrong. And what happens to a person who loses that is their conscience becomes what the Bible calls seared, S-E-A-R-E-D. Their conscience is seared. And what that simply means is it no longer works. It's hardened. It becomes, you ever heard of a hardened heart? That's a seared conscience, is a hard heart. And it becomes seared. Now, in talking about False teachers, the Apostle Paul warns uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.2, he says, such teachings coming from false teachers come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been, what? Seared as with a hot iron. Now you understand that. If, if somebody has, a, has a, you know, a, a bad cut on their leg, you, know, you're, you're, you can't get to to the hospital or to medical treatment, oftentimes uh, an age-old, and it works, but it's painful, a method of treating that to get the bleeding under control is to take a hot iron from a, from a fire and slap it on that, that wound, and it will sear the, the, uh, the wound, and it'll stop it from bleeding. That's a positive sense of searing something. The negative is when it happens to your conscience. In other words, your conscience no longer is working because it's become hardened. And that's why some people can commit such extreme acts of evil like what happened last week in that school. How could this kid do it? It's because his conscience has never been developed, has never been reinforced. 
It, and, and the world will sear your conscience. It will sear the conscience of your children or your grandchildren. That's why you and I as believers have got to ingrain in them the reality of what is pure and what is, is truthful and what is honorable and what is excellent into their lives. This is why training is so important because the conscience, if it isn't trained to know right and wrong, it can become warped and it can become seared. So today I want to give you four suggestions and four areas of life where you need to instruct your children to give them a solid spiritual conscience and foundation, one that will help them not depart from it when they get older. Number one, you got to teach your kids manners, morals, and right attitudes. I know this is dating me. I know none of the, what I'm going to give you today is in culture today. In fact, it's made fun of. But this is what you've got to do if you want to train them so they won't depart from the faith when they get older. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, Whatever you do, do it with kindness and love. We've got to teach our kids to do that. To be children and young adults and then adults who do everything with kindness and love. And so it needs to be given to our kids at a very early age. And I'll just make one observation, it's just my opinion. I think most parents wait way too long to start this process. I think you need to start much earlier than you think because the truth is selfish attitudes are natural to all of us. When we are born, we are born with a me focus. What little kid isn't totally self-absorbed and demanding? We're born that way. We cry for attention. We get mad when we don't get our way. But if that is left unchecked, and we grow, as we grow, we can become very self-centered adults. Do you know any? Don't, don't punch your spouse. Breaking selfishness means helping our children learn to be appreciative instead of demanding. To be grateful, thankful. That breaks selfishness. When you are thankful for what God has done for you or for what your parents have done for you. I remember praying here not too long ago, and I do this frequently, where I, I just started thanking God again for the heritage I grew up with. I thanked God for my grandmother who got saved back in the 1930s and brought my mother before she was my mother, before she was even married, to the same meetings, and she got saved, who brought my dad because they were dating and he got saved, and he goes off to World War II. He survives and comes back, and they begin their family in the late 1940s and, are, and become pillars of my home church. And it's into that environment in the 1950s that I am then born. And I have the great heritage not only of my mom and my dad and, and, and all that the family unit meant and the emphasis on Christ, but also then a wonderful church. And I think back to the, my pastor, who, who was my pastor most of my growing up years until I became an adult and left, and he's in heaven now. But I just thank God for, for his life and the things he taught me. And I don't remember one sermon. What I remember is his life. 
What I remember is his example. What I remember is the influence he had just by who he was as a person. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't one sermon that, now I know most of you remember my sermons, but I, I didn't remember any of his sermons. It, I don't remember any of them. I remember the life that was lived out that so influenced my life. And so this is what we need to do is build into our children a, a spirit of appreciation and thankfulness. So let me give you a few practical suggestions that will help break selfishness. Number one, teach your children how to act in public. I know that sounds old-fashioned, but it's part of the overall training. Some things are acceptable in public. Some things are not acceptable in public. I hear it all the time. They're just expressing themselves. Well, a little less expression would be appreciated. And that may be fine when they're two months, but when they're two years and they're 12 years old and they're still just expressing themselves, it's a different story. There needs to be a change. I know we're not going to sell too many of these sermons, this sermon today. Not everything that comes to your child's mind is worthy of expression. And they have to be trained. That's not appropriate, you know. They need to be trained to control themselves because if they're not, when they're older, you have got a problem on your hands. Number two, teach your kids to be kind, to say thank you to share, to show proper respect to adults. I used to be, you guys know what a bag boy was at a grocery store? You get, any of you re, know what, remember that, those days? They actually, grocery stores used to actually uh, put groceries in bags for you and carry them out. We were called carry-out boys back where, where I lived in northern Indiana. That's what they called us, carry-out boys. And I was a carry-out boy. And my mom came into the grocery store one time, and I never called her ma'am at home. I just called her mom. And she came in, and I addressed her as mom. And the, the, the manager, when she left, got all over me. And I said, well, because we were supposed to call the women ma'am and the, and the men sir. And I called her mom and said, the ma'am. And he says, you call every woman a ma'am. And I said, yeah, but she's my mom. I don't care who she You call her ma'am. You show respect in this place. Yes, sir, yes, sir. I wanted to keep my job, you know. I wanted to do, you know, that's, but we, we, we have to teach our children these things, even sometimes uh, strongly. We got to teach them to keep their anger under control. Anger is not always uncontrollable. But if we don't learn to control it as children, guess what? When we become older, things like this past week happened. So, here's another one. Don't allow your children to throw temper tantrums. If they, if they learn to be self-controlled early in life, it'll save them a lot of pain later on in life. Number three, teach your children to be truthful, even when it hurts. Teach them that lying is more hurtful than telling the truth. All right? That has such powerful spiritual implications, to be honest before God. To be honest before one another. What does the word of God say? Confess your faults to God? No. It says confess your faults to who? One another. One another. See, people who lie, who put on a, a false front, they aren't cool on doing that. But he says if you'll do that, you'll be healed. That's James chapter 5. Read it yourself. Number four, 
Teach your daughters to value their bodies. You'll never get this in culture today. Um, And we're talking morality here. Teach them self-respect and that they should never allow anyone to touch them inappropriately. Amen? Okay, number five. Teach your sons then to respect girls and women. To never hit a girl, to never disrespect a woman or a girl, teenage girl, in any way. No matter what temptation's going on, they have to learn how to control themselves too, or it becomes a problem later on in life. So dads, never allow your children to disrespect their mother. Don't let them sass their mom. I remember coming home one time and calling my, my mother woman. My, my dad, I won't tell you how, but he put a stop to that real fast. And you know what? I never allowed my, uh, I never allowed my children to sass their mother or to treat her disrespectfully. They knew that the ceiling would fall on them if they did that. Whether I was around or not, all I had to do was hear about it when I got home. And, and so these are things that are practical, that are important in human relationships. And, and I'll tell you, Dad, you can't teach your children to respect their mother if you don't respect their mother. So, Dad, you've got to respect. It's by example as well as instruction. Okay, secondly, teach your kids respect for rules. Romans 12, 17 says, do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. So when we teach our children to respect rules, we are indirectly teaching them to respect authority and to live honorably. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 tells us that God is a God of decency and order. So when he moves through it, it comes out decently and orderly. That's the moving of his spirit. The kids need decency and order trained into their lives. The big problem with rule setting, as I see it, two ends of the spectrum, either we fail to set up any rules at all in our homes, and so it becomes a free-for-all, or secondly, we become legalistic with too many petty rules, and so our, our kids tone us out because we're, we're griping at them all the time. We take it too far, and one is as bad as the other. We've got to set reasonable boundaries for our children that help them understand our love for them, that we want their ultimate good, but that they're accountable in life to their family, they're accountable to the government, and ultimately they're accountable to God because they are, all of those things. Okay, number three, teach your kids good work habits. One of the most loving things parents can do for your kids is to teach them how to work. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Sluggard's not a word that we use very often. That's not a major league baseball player. That's a slugger. A sluggard is the opposite of the ant, really. It's a lazy person. It's a do-nothing person. That's what a sluggard is. And so the word of God says, if you're a lazy person, go and look at the ant. Well, what's so special about the ant? They work hard to prepare for the future. They don't know that they're doing it. They don't have the mental capacity to say, hey, we've got to store up so many 
you know, they just do it by instinct. But what they're doing by instinct, we can do thoughtfully. We've got to prepare our children for the future. Now, one of the things that we tried to teach our girls was this very thing, a, a, a strong work ethic. So in our home, they weren't just given money, what some people might call like an allowance. They weren't just given an allowance for doing nothing. They had to earn their allowance. And Carrie had specific jobs for them that they had to fulfill every week. And if they did those things, then they got their allowance. And the reason that we wanted them to work for, for their allowance was to build this work ethic in it, but also to give them a fund of money. They, we wanted them to have some money because while we provided the basics that they needed, we got them basic clothing, basic shoes, fed them once in a while. You know, we, we, we just kind of took care of the basics, you know. But if they wanted a more expensive pair of jeans, they had to fork up the difference themselves. That means they had to have some money in order to do that. Well, then, of course, when they got money from us, they were taught immediately about tithing off of that allowance and then about giving to missions. On, that was a high value in our home. And, and I'll tell you that all of that taught them the value of money. And, and then when they got jobs, I'm just telling you how we did it, or they went out for sports at school, we taught them the priority of their spiritual lives. And that influenced where they worked, it influenced how often they worked, and it influenced when they played sports too. I know, old-fashioned, I'm going to tell you. They weren't allowed to work, they weren't allowed to go out for sports at times where there was a conflict with church services. No, the priority of this family is God. They didn't do them on Sundays. They didn't do them on Wednesdays because they were going to church with us because that was our family value. And we taught them that if they would give their best, their bosses and their teachers would accommodate their, their church schedule. And we found that to be exactly true. Their boss or their teacher did work with them because they wanted to retain them. And that's one decision that Carrie and I do not regret today one bit because they and now their families, our grandchildren, are all serving Jesus, fully committed followers of Christ. I don't know if that's the reason. I'm just saying this is how it's worked out for us. And we are so grateful to God. Number four, teach your children spiritual discipline. You see, your kids can learn all those other things and still be spiritual failures. Your first priority has got to be, I think it's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. But I underline this part. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. That's mentorship. That's mentoring. And, and if your kids are grown, you mentor some of the other kids in this church that don't have dads. Make sure they learn how to read the Bible. If, if you have the King James Version, and th that can be tough in today's culture to understand. So get them a version that's more easily understood. It has a lot of pictures in there. In fact, I still require a lot of pictures in all men are that way. You got to have pictures in there, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Teach your kids how to pray. Teach them how to worship. 
Be involved in church activities. Teach them how to give. If these things are built into them when they are young, then when they are old, that stuff will still be in them. They'll not depart from it. Now, i got to tell you, none of us is perfect. I thank God for what we've seen happen in our family. But I'll tell you what, when it comes to our grandkids now, most and still our children, we pray diligently and will till our dying breath for them to continue in a relationship that's growing with Jesus Christ. We are, we are not perfect parents. And, and as I got older, I had a lot of regrets. I would look back on the past and say, man, I wish I'd have done this better. I wish I'd have done that better. I have known wonderful Christian parents whose kids rejected their faith. I've known that. They've rebelled against the Lord. It happens. But I'm going to say to you that if, if you follow these kinds of principles, it won't guarantee your children will, will not have a season away. But it will lessen, it will reduce the probability that they may walk away. And even if they do, the reality of what you've placed in them, they can't get away from it. And it'll, it'll keep drawing them back, nagging at them. And you just keep praying for the nag. You keep praying the nag on them until they finally, what was it, Jonathan Edwards called him the hound of heaven, speaking of the Holy Spirit, who just gets on your trail and won't let you go. He's after you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to go after your kids until they commit themselves back to Christ. So if you have kids that are far from Christ today, I want you to know that there is still hope. And I want you to know there's hope as, because of the power of your praying. As you pray for those kids, whether they like, want you to or not, doesn't matter. You pray over them and God will be faithful to you. And if your kids are still at home and you look out and you see the way the world's going today and you say, oh God, I'm just so scared. I want you to know that you can trust Jesus. You, you can't protect them from everything that's out there. You can't. Even if you were with them 24-7, you can't protect them from every little bug that's out there or every act of violence. You've got to commit them to Jesus. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.